You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Chris Jennings. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. Today, I've got a special guest. I've got Brandon Sarecki, kind of the founder of Boss Shot Shells. Now, in the earlier show that we did with Boss, we had Lee Chos on. Lee is the brand manager of Boss, and he really talked about the brand and how, um, you know, the whole company came to light. Um, but what I wanted Brandon to come on here and talk to us about is really the technical aspects of Boss, um, really the ballistics of those shells. But before we do that, Brandon, kind of give our audience an idea of who you are, where you're from, and and how you kind of came about of you know creating this this new Boss ammo. I'm from Southwest Michigan. I'm, I guess I'll be 39 next month, so I'm not young, but I'm not old, and uh, I'm a lifelong tinkerer. And I've owned um, a handful of businesses and, and worked for my family business ever since I was a little kid, which I, I still own. And that that's the metal finishing side of the business, which I'm, we'll, we'll talk about later when it comes to the ballistics. But I got into duck hunting as in college, really. But back then, Michigan, you had to be 14 to get your uh, uh, hunter safety certificate to hunt with a gun. And by that point, my dad had started the business that I now own and the time for uh, hunting during the week or even on weekends. I mean, just the time was spoken for. So I had that, that love for the outdoors that I never really was able to take advantage of until I was in college. And two of my, my buddies that became my roommates in my freshman year, we met in the dorm. They got me into duck and goose hunting. And 
you know, then, you know, you have your own money working through college and it just kind of started a whole addiction to, uh, spending a lot of paychecks doing, doing the, the, the buying decoys and guns and clothes and shells, all that. So I, I hunted a lot when through college, when I first got married. And then as soon as I had kids, um, that went down significantly. So fast forward five years, I have a little boy. I got a daughter who's, who's a year and a half older than, than he is, but my son loves shooting BB guns and he's into it. Right. So we end up going down to Arkansas on a snow goose hunt in the spring. And, uh, I told the guides, I said, Hey, I'm bringing my, my little guy along. I hope it's no problem. They said, yeah, it shouldn't be a big deal. How old is he? I said, he's five. And they said, Ooh, man, I don't know if that's going to be going to be for him. I said, just, you guys will see, you'll see. So I wanted to load up some ammunition for him that he could actually kill a bird with, um, you know, with a 410 or with a 20 gauge. And I kind of failed the first year because, you know, him being, you know, five or six years old, maybe it was six, um, the recoil of a 20 gauge, even what I downloaded, um, was still too much for him, but he did kill a goose that year. And, uh, uh, I loaded up my own ammunition for, for 12 gauge, because one of the things that I used to hate was crippling birds where you'd hear pellets go into them. You'd see geese fly off with a dropped leg, or you'd lose a duck 400 yards away in the, in the swamp. And it just, it, it bothered me. And even the thought of ducks coming back to the blind, still alive, I'd lose sleep over that. Like it really, really genuinely disappointed me to know that your job is to have fun, enjoy the outdoors, harvest a bird, but the just crippling was something I, I couldn't live with. And it, it was so different than what I remember my dad and his buddies doing up at the Todd farm in Michigan when they would just stone cold kill geese. Like it, it, it was, it couldn't be for like polar opposites. So when I was loading my son's stuff up, I loaded mine and everything on our, like my end of the line, cause I'm left-handed. I shoot the right end of the line was getting wrecked. And I had all kinds of filler cards and fibers and all kinds of stuff that when you pull the trigger, you know, the, the bird d- drops, but you've got all this stuff flying in the air and the, the guides never see anything before like that. And they asked what that was all about. And I told them it's some stuff I loaded up by hand and, gave them a couple shells and they saw they were loaded in clear hulls, had like pink wads. They're like, I want nothing to do with that. So the end of the third day, I gave them the rest of my ammunition. Uh, fast forward a year, we go back and these guys are dying for more of that stuff. They're like, did you bring any more of that, that ammo with you this year? I said, yep, we got it. So that kind of started thinking like these guys are professional field guides and it's something that they don't see birds get killed like this. Like with the thousands of birds they harvest every year, they don't see birds get killed like this. So I just sold my anodizing business in Indiana. And my wife told me that uh, I needed something to do after like a month of only working one job at my main business. So I started boss and a couple phone calls and I met Lee and the rest is history, as they say. What exactly were those loads that you were shooting on that uh on that first snow goose hunt? Well, it was two different it was two different types of tungsten-based ammunition. One of them was a 13 density and the other one was a 10 density that I was buying through the reloading supply places on the internet. And 
you know, there's always guys that have hand loaded their stuff for eons, but that kind of got me thinking, you know, maybe there's a, a market that, you know, there, there was bismuth out there then there were a couple of people making it, but it had been largely relegated to old guys with old guns. And I mean, I heard about business bismuth back in the early two thousands when I was in college. And again, it was old guys, old guns. That's who shot bismuth. So you kind of just left it alone. Um, and that's where meeting Lee, I, I told him, I want to be like the vice golf ball of the shotgun shell or the dollar shave club, right? Where you got really good products that are delivered direct to the consumer. You don't have the middleman and you know, it kind of, it kind of triggered something in him that thought that maybe this was just different enough to make a go at it. And I wanted the best customer service, like the best, um, almost to a fault. Like I say, we've got the best customer service. No one's perfect, but if you screw up, how you recover from the mistakes is really what separates the cream, you know, how that rises to the top. So. And, and what made you go to, you know, you started out and that, that I think Lee mentioned the first one that you guys came out with was that shorty. It's a two and three quarter five. Oh, yeah. you know, still popular. Yeah. But, but what made you go, what made you choose that round specifically? You know, that, that specific load is your, Hey, this is the go-to like, this is the reason why we're doing this right. Well, I knew Lee and I were going to get along real well when he told me that he didn't shoot steel and he shot one type of shot and it was a tungsten number seven. And he said, well, if I take this project and I at least have to know if the product works. So sense of sense of my way, we'll take up the Saskatchewan. So I thought if I had to compete with a tungsten number seven, just density, and this is just math on paper, I needed to be two shot sizes smaller or larger, obviously with, with a lighter pellet. So I loaded up number fives and that is that kind of took it on all on its own so you go from a guy that shot tungsten number sevens and me wanting to impress the guy that might be helping me launch this business we started you know started off with a number five and that's that's the way it kind of evolved and we didn't do a three inch shell because well one we couldn't get a loader that would load three inch at the time. It was all just on a small press doing short two and three quarter inch shells. And two, because the density, we were able to put a, a nominal three inch payload into a two and three quarter inch shell. So the first year, well, the first season, 90% of our business was all two and three quarter shells. So we knew we had something when we were able to convince a market of not maybe the whole market, but our buyers that were shooting three and three and a half inch steel shells to start shooting these little short two and three quarter. So it, it kind of brought awareness to the brand where, Hey, these guys are different, like in every way, like they're telling us to shoot short shells and it's, it wasn't a gimmick. It was just physics, like density. You can put an ounce and a quarter in and for the last three generations or three decades, at least um, people are shooting ounce and a quarter of steel. So ounce and a quarter is the nominal payload, and we're putting that in a two and three quarter inch shell. But we're discovering that we still have a lot of work to do because our first year, year and a half, the word was out where shoot the two and three quarter inch shell. But now as we've got new people coming to the brand that is like secondhand, like a guy buys our shells, they shoot them, they turn a guy onto it. That guy doesn't have the direct connection with us immediately. He's still buying the three inch shells, which is essentially a three and a half inch payload. But again, I mean, it, it's the words getting out and uh, 
the product's good. It works and, and people are believing in it and continue to buy it. And we're doing our part, I think, to greatly reduce the amount of cripples that are being shot every year. Absolutely. And, and you know, Lee kind of touched on this where you guys, you know, you kind of got this idea in your head that you were going to copper plate this bismuth. And he's like, yeah, he's like, Brandon just went in and started making this, you know, and he was, you know, kind of sharing that story. But from your perspective, like what, what made you look at that bismuth, the shot shell that you guys had and then say, all right, we're about to make this thing better. I'm never satisfied. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a good no, thing. I mean that, well, you know, Lee and I talk a lot about, I mean, we have discussions about all kinds of stuff on many different levels. And, you know, one of the things when, when, uh, we first started working together, knowing that he was a big time photographer. He watched this Netflix movie called Kodachrome. And my grandpa used to shoot Kodachrome slides. He still is around and he doesn't do film anymore or even digital. But I remember watching those slideshows and just the vibrant colors that Kodachrome film had. And I, I tried talking Lee into dusting off one of the old cameras and let, let's shoot some, shoot some ads using old film, you know? Uh, but anyway, in that movie, there's, there's a line that kind of says, um, I'm paraphrasing, but no art that's worth anything was ever made out of happiness. And it's kind of a dark comment to, to, to say, but I mean, I kind of believe there's a lot of truth in it that when things are going good, like there's not a whole heck of a lot to improve upon because your view to the world is, is everything's good. Um, but I was in a particularly dark mood one day and I had found out that there might be some upcoming competition with our product in response to the waves we made. And I, I kind of channeled Walt Disney and his mantra was always to plus everything. You know, what can we do to make what we've got even better? Right. So he might have been one of few happy people that was able to improve on things, but he's probably in the the vast minority. So. I was walking by our plating department that we were doing a lot of copper work on. And I thought, what if putting a layer of copper on a bismuth pellet kind of had the, the effects of putting a layer of copper on lead. And I plated some shot, patterned it and it patterned tighter. I'm like, this is weird. Let me do it again. So I five patterns later, you know, you're like, yeah, there's a trend here. So then we shot ballistic gel and you're seeing way deeper penetration, especially at, at 40 yards, you know, 30 yards, we were like 15% deeper than unplated 40 yards. We are 40% deeper and 50 yards. We were back to 15. So I thought this can't be right. So then I, I loaded up a shell where I mixed the plated shot and the unplated shot. I put it on the bottom. I put it on the top. I mixed it all in. And every time we're seeing these consistent, deeper penetration in ballistics gel, and this was real gel, not, not the fake stuff that we shoot and, and take to trade shows that won't stink and melt. Like this is the, the real gel. So that's when I, I call Lee back. I'm like, man, I think we got something, dude. So let's, let's do it. So I contact the attorneys and had them do a background analysis and see if there was some kind of uh, art that could be established for us putting a layer of copper on a bismuth pellet. And we, we did the filings and, and locked up the IP. And not that we're trying to freeze the market out. All that we want is as a small business, we want our fair shot at trying to grow this thing organically and do things the right way in the name of conservation and, and, and build our own brand. I think, 
people who really aren't as familiar with bismuth you know i think they've probably heard and you know you kind of hear these rumors that bismuth is is very brittle you know it, it's much yep. more brittle much more brittle than steel obviously but even more so than lead um right but when you put that copper plating on it, it really kind of changes the dynamic of that shot it, yeah it does it does a good bit but really what it does is it improves the penetration while still it, it helps minimize setback forces. And we can talk about that later on, but uh, your pellets are going to deform going through a choke. Uh, they're going to deform when they're accelerated down the barrel. And there's things you can do when you construct the shell that minimize that, but you still, anything you can do to improve it, right? So if you can have that pellet deform less running down the barrel, it's going to fly straighter. And if you can have it, lower friction on the surface um it's going to penetrate deeper it's going to slow down less going through tissue but allowing keeping that thin enough that layer of copper thin enough and still allowing that pellet to deform helps dump its energy and that deformation process which sometimes involves that pellet splitting in half after it goes through bone um is just going to increase the trauma and that that kills the cripple so we get people that again like we're dealing with 30 years so that's at least two generations of people that have never been duck hunting or goose hunting with lead shot yeah and if you talk to a guy like i joke around and say if a guy's got gray hair he knows lead but now what's happening i got gray hair and the only evidence of me seeing lead you know in the field was uh my dad right so so there's this this lost period of time where we're bringing something out that has been around forever, but we've marketed it in such a way that it's available to anyone. You know, it's not for old guys with old guns. So, so again, with that, with uh, the deformation, the energy, all that dump, I mean, we're, we're getting the penetration of lead with the copper plating, even though the pellet's a little lighter. So we've, we've equaled it there. And we're increasing its effectiveness by still allowing that pellet to deform and create the, the wound channels. Like we've got some guys up in, in the central part of Michigan that have their own hunting group and um, they'll shoot anywhere between a thousand and 1500 giant honkers a year. They will get some flight birds, but a lot of it is big local Michigan geese that they target. Big resident birds. Yeah. The big, the big boys. Yep. So when we started off in, in 2018, we were giving them number twos and three shot. Then they, they tried uh, threes, fours, fives, or three, five mix, and then they settled on number fours. And what they noticed, again, like awesome field testing, shooting those 1,000, 12, 1,500 birds a year with all one shot, their crippling went down, their harvest numbers went up. And what they noticed was the blood, the blood trails that these geese would leave, you know, when dogs brought them back or the blood on their chest, when they would um, have them, you know, in the, in the field, as well as when they were cleaning them, they're like the wound channels in these things are like when we were shooting uh, BB and number two steel. And that was with the number four. So they switched in uh, 19, they shot, 
fours last year, they made the decision to start shooting 20 gauges. So we had guys that in 2018 and 19, or 2018 and prior, they were shooting BB two and triple B steel, 12 gauge, three and a halves. Then they started shooting two and three quarter fours. And now they've all switched to 20 and 28 gauges. And it's just had that much more of like an excitement and a thrill, less recoil, less noise. And it's different. So they're kind of taking the market's kind of taking this whole thing on its own by going from like 20 gauge is now kind of the new cool gun. And even further on down the line, 28, 16s, 410s, we're seeing it all. So the 12 gauge is still a solid seller for us. But a lot of guys are bringing out these old guns or purposely buying new sub gauge guns just to shoot our stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we've talked about that in length. Uh, on this show with everyone from Phil Bergele, who's our shotgunning columnist to great you know, dude. Phil's oh, awesome. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I know he, he mentioned he was shooting some of your stuff this year and he shoots those big candidates as well. Um, you know, but, but really that transition to the 20 gauge um, within the waterfowling market. And, and we, I think everyone is in kind of an, in agreement that, yeah, it's cool. And, you know, people are doing it cause it's kind of trendy some a little bit, but really it's the ammunition has caught up and is is much more capable and you know a lot of that you know is is because of you guys and what you guys are doing and and other new technologies out there that have really changed the way that you know duck hunters are looking at the 20 gauge and even like you said this you know the 28 i mean we're talking yeah. you know guys are going out with 28 gauges now to shoot you know geese and uh but yep. you know as far as you know the one question I have for you and that I get from other people too, when I'm kind of talking about boss or somebody's like, Hey man, have you shot any of that new boss? Um, you guys always recommend shooting full chokes. Mm -hmm. Um, why is that? Can you just explain that to our, I mean, I, I understand it ballistically, but explain that to our audience where you're like, Hey man, if you're going to shoot this switch to a full choke. Well, yeah, well, there's, there's a ballistic advantage. Um, but also it might be, it might be selfish. Um, I don't want to say selfish, but yeah, it's selfish. I mean, I hate seeing crippled birds and a full choke is going to concentrate the energy in a smaller area. So you're going to have fewer flyers and a lot of guys proficiency isn't where it should be. And, and I want to hit on one thing. You said something about like how we're kind of changing and, you know, everyone's kind of, follow I'm not going to say that, that, that there probably is truth to that. But the biggest thing is part of the narrative that we like to, to promote is the bullet's not magic, right? It's the shot shell is not going to automatically increase your harvest. What it does is it shifts the odds back in the favor of the guy pulling the trigger. If you can't shoot running boss is not going to make you a better shot. But if you couple, if, if you couple like our love for conservation, my OCD and like almost neurotic attitude towards patterning and ballistics and all that. And it's going to get guys shooting paper and they're going to start noticing, Hey, point of impact, point of aim. I will say that I think we've gotten more people to shoot paper and pattern their shotgun since we started than probably anyone's done in the previous 10 years at a minimum. So we've got these guys that, that are actually taking their gun out. They're going shooting sporting clays. They're starting to get like geeky about pattern analysis and chokes and this and that. But there is no, there, there is 
truth in the fact that when you're shooting with a full choke, you are concentrating that shot column running downrange. And what it does is it, it slows down a little bit less slowly because bullets or the, the shots moving in mass and the outer edge of your pattern does not have the lethality that the center core does because those pellets are not traveling straight along the line of the barrel. They're, they're flying off and veering off. So a lot of guys who are blowing feathers out of birds are catching them with a fringe of that pattern. And we like seeing guys either have clean kills or clean misses. And that's the name of the game. Like you guys have spent a ton of time and resources tracking how many cripples are, are, are caused every year due to uh, shots that either birds can't be retrieved with a dog or birds carry pellets later on and die. And we hate that number. It's gross. And as our brand grows, yeah, we're giving lethal ammunition, but it's also people buying in on the whole uh, belief that, hey, I still have a lot of responsibility to bear in clean kills and clean misses. So in inside 30 yards, you know, there's a lot of guys that say, I shoot all my ducks inside 30 over the decoys. Well, that's true to a point. People don't realize how quickly when a bird turns away after the first shot rings out, they can be 35, 40, 45, 50 yards by the time that third shot's pulled. So when a guy calls me and says, hey, what shot do I want to shoot? And I say, how far do you want to kill your birds? Well, 30 yards. I said, that's fine. But third shot, birds going out. Are you going to pull the trigger at 40? Are you going to be the guy that pulls the trigger at 50? And if you are, that's cool. We, we've got a product for that. If you can pull the shot off, we can sell you a product that will cleanly kill a bird at 45, 50 yards. So it's, it's all about the, it's, it's the whole bit. It's not just the ammunition. There's a lot of education that goes into it. And that's why partnering with DU is awesome because you're helping us give a platform to send the message out and, and elevate everyone's game. Even if you don't shoot our, our shells and our brand's not for you, at least we can do our part to help spread the awareness that goes throughout the, the, the industry and, and everyone that, that goes out and hunts like, you got to take ethical shots and there's things you can do to improve your, your success. Yeah. And I think, you know, like you said, getting people to put, put their shot on paper uh, more routinely. I mean, you know, working for ducks Unlimited magazine and handling a digital editorial. I mean, it is amazing how much we actually talk about this and mm-hmm. then it's surprising and a little bit disheartening when even the guys that I duck hunt with regular, I'm like, Hey man, how's that thing pattern? They're like, I don't know. Well, I never patterned it. <laughs> you know, it's like, yep. man, like here, like I, the guys are like, I don't even know how to pattern. Like, man, I'll tell you what, Phil Bergeli's written about 25 columns on that thing. <laughs> you know, right. I can get you right. that information pretty easily. And, and, and I think, and, and I think Lee hit on it too. When we originally had our conversation, you know, it, that process, from the patterning to, you know, finding the shell that, that is the most effective shell for you. Um, and then making those decisions, making those ethical decisions to maybe not take that long shot. Um, like you said, clean, clean kills, clean misses. Um, it's a, it's definitely a mentality. And I'm sure that, you know, um, there are guys out there who none of this even pops into their head. And maybe those are the people who are not you know, right for boss, or maybe the, you know, maybe right. there's people who, who maybe they are right for boss because maybe they need to, um, you know, kind of up their game a little bit as far as, uh, you know, learning 
how this shot process works and, and, and mm-hmm. how, how to more effectively kill birds. But I mean, I think it's a great message, you know, that, that you guys are, are really getting out there and it's, it's awesome, you know, that you guys are doing it here with us with ducks unlimited, you know, it totally yeah. makes sense. No, it's, it's there, there's, and then, you know, there's always a, there's a lot being largely online based. Uh, there's always a lot of chatter that we, we build this following and I mean, it's just, it's growing year, year by year. And, uh, what people read and see is the honest truth. I mean, we really don't like manipulating our consumers. And I think that's, it's been so refreshing that like guys will, they'll speak highly of our product and our brand and what we stand for. And we don't even need to get involved in those conversations because like what you read and what you hear and see, it's, it's all honest. I mean, both good and bad, but we know that well over 90% of the people that, that try our product, they, we do repeat business with them. And that's, that's the name of the game. And, you know, there's, there's uh, a lot that we have to worry about, you know, with the environment, with gun laws and everything else. And, you know, we try to stay out of the retail um, market because the word is best served by, by serving the customers and growing it organically. So you don't have, you know, a, a guy in a, in a store who's responsible for 35 other non-toxic shells to, to represent the product. Um, because we are different. It's not just the shell. Anyone can make a shotgun shell and they've been made for, for hundreds of years, but, uh, we just go about it a little bit differently. Yeah. It's better components, better ballistics. It's, it works better. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. But you still, the, the hunter still has to do their part. What makes that boss shot shell everything from, um, you know, any fillers to the wad, you know, the, 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 the cup, you know, anything, what what makes boss stand out from that perspective? Well, we, we've dumbed it down to a degree, like 
I grew up loading trap loads that, you know, I guess I didn't hit on that earlier, but I was introduced to a Mech 600 Junior. I think the one I've got was called a, a Mech Versa Mech. It was like, it's from the 60s or early 70s. And I would, trying to get my dad into like taking me shooting and hunting, I thought, man, if I could, if I could demonstrate to him that I could build these shells and I loved loading shells in the basement, like maybe he'll take me out hunting or pheasant hunting or this or that. And I got to go one time and then about once or twice a year, he would take me to the shop here out behind the, the, the building and throw clay targets for me. And later on down the, the road, we ended up finding out that my dad, while doing everything he could run the business and, and raise the family. He was dealing with some health issues. He had multiple sclerosis that he had kept quiet for, well, let's see here, 20 years or 17 years. And uh, it, it kind of came out where he couldn't hide it anymore. So he was dealing with some internal health issues that, uh, you know, it, it just, that's a whole other, whole other issue. But anyway, I knew that if I used like really good components and built the shell, like, ammo manufacturers built lead magnum loads back in the 60s and 70s and 80s that we could have something really cool. So it started off with a lot of resources, reading books, recipes, trying this, trying that, meeting really smart people in the industry, ballisticians from gunpowder companies and industry people who made stuff, you know, the wad manufacturers, all these companies. So we started just with like simple formulas. Let's dumb this down and build it like a heavy field load. And that's where it started. And then as we learned more organically, just a lot of trial and error and a lot of, again, a lot of high level conversations with subject natures that we probably weren't comfortable with at first, but now we, we can speak at a high level about are like powder burn rates and the effect that chamber pressure has. And not only chamber pressure and how it relates to velocity, but area underneath the curve, the rise of how pressure peaks, what that does on a shot column, so on and so forth. So like there's two different ways, like I, I guess, let me talk, uh, now you're getting me going here, about <laughs> the different ways to accelerate shot as it travels down the barrel, right? So let's say we want to move a car that's out of gas and we gotta like jump start it, right? Or say it's no starter, dump the clutch, get the car going. You can either do that by pushing that car up to a certain speed, popping the clutch and letting it go, or you can rear end it with a semi truck, right? So the one's a lot more violent. Both are going to get that car moving down the road, but one of them is worse than others. And when we're dealing with soft shot, one of the things that we have to watch out for is the fashion in which that shot is accelerated down the barrel. So naturally we want a slow burning powder to, to build a nice pressure over a longer period of time to gently move everything and get it going down the barrel, but yet still have complete ignition and combustion of the powder. So as you run slower powders, you have to have more of that to burn, which then becomes an issue for your primer to ignite. So it's a balancing act, right? And there's never ever a free lunch. There's always compromises that are made. So the way we like to build our shells is we use the hottest primer we can get our hands on, which that was a new primer for us in 2020, which we're still using now in our 12 and 20 gauge. Lesser gauges doesn't make as much of a difference. So we want a good hot ignition source. We want to burn the slowest powder that we can that still burns cleanly, hits the pressures we want it to, 
and still will light reliably in cold weather. Because that's another thing that gets thrown out the window is cold weather performance. So when we're, when we're running larger powder charges of slower powder, you buy powder by the pound. And it all runs roughly the, the same cost. Some of the cheaper powders are a lot less expensive. But economics state that let's try to maximize profits by putting the least amount of powder in that'll still get us the desired end result. And the end result for ammunition is the velocity that it runs. So going back, we're putting more powder in, so it costs us more money. But what we're getting is better patterns. And this same thing is true of, of steel powders and everything else. The slower you can accelerate that shot charge going down the barrel, the better your patterns are going to be for, a, say, the same wad. Wad for wad, there, you're going to find that you can, you can have better patterns with more gentle acceleration forces. So we're running um, maybe 25%, 20, 15 to 25% more powder than some manufacturers are because they want to put the lightest powder charge in that they can that gets the acceleration where it should be and still meets the SAMI spec for high-end pressure, so chamber pressure. So it's that balancing act. We're doing it functionally for the ballistics of the shell. Other people are doing it, and I, I may be speaking out of school, but in my experience, some of the other other larger companies are trying to manage the bottom line. So they're running other powders that maybe aren't the best suited, but again, it's a compromise and we don't compromise on certain things. I hope that doesn't come out wrong because it's, I'm not, I'm not trying to start any issues. I'm just telling you why we feel what we do is a little bit different. Yeah, no. And I, I don't, I don't think so. I think that, I think that's fine. I, you know, it, and one thing that, that people have talked about, and this is kind of a mentality shift as well. Um, and I kind of wanted to ask you about it because, you know, seven, 10 years ago, you know, everyone was trying to get as fast a shell as they possibly can. And that's based mm -hmm. simple, you know, physics, you know, the energy downrange yep. is, is yep. high. you know, it, it's, it's bit, bit math, you know, it's on paper. Um, but when people pick up a box of boss and they look at it and it says, you know, 1300 feet per second, you know, how do you guys, and, and how do you explain to people like, Hey, you know, this is why we chose, you know, this velocity right, to fit this right. specific shell. So high, high speed, um, yes, yeah, speed kills. Right. And with steel, there's companies that came out with really cool wads that can run a steel payload 1,700 feet per second downrange. But one of the things that people really don't, it's never been told to them except like in physics class in high school, but they were probably sleeping then, like drag, drag increases as the, spare, as the square of speed. So the faster you accelerate something, the faster something's moving, the drag increases exponentially. So it's not like I move it uh, twice as fast, uh, my drag is double. No, your drag is four times that much, right? So it's kind of a, it's a mind blower, but, and that's one of the issues with steel. Steel kills, it's killed for 30 years. Does it kill as good? We can have a debate on that, but I personally feel that denser materials kill better. 
So what happens with steel is, let's just take a steel two, for example. The area of a steel two, like the diameter of that pellet flying through the air is a lot bigger and it weighs about the same as our number four. It's halfway between a number three and number four. So just surface area alone, not moving both pellets at the same speed, this number two steel is gonna slow down faster because it has a larger surface area, has more drag. Right. So to overcome that, where the industry's gone is let's move steel faster, 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 faster. Well, the difference is, and I think Phil just wrote an article in one of your more recent uh, DUs that came out, where where he speaks that point of like drag and everything else has an effect that downrange speed with these faster moving shotgun shells isn't all it's cracked up to be. I mean, I'm paraphrasing again, right? But uh, so, so drag reduction is a huge thing. So that's where these guys that, that have gone like with us, with our, our bismuth and uh, some of the other manufacturers using tungsten, super heavy tungsten. Yeah, it creates very little drag. So it flies through the air super straight, super fast, and it's super lethal. We feel there comes a point where you have to have a balance. Again, speaking compromises, right? Yeah, if everyone could afford a $6 or $8 shotgun shell, then everyone would be shooting that really tiny, heavy tungsten stuff. But having loaded tungsten myself and having hunted with it, there's not a shot that I've been able to pull off with one of those super heavy, super expensive shotgun shells that I haven't been able to do the same shot with our copper-plated boss. Now, granted, I may be going up two pellets, or maybe even three pellet sizes from a nine to a five or like an eight to a five or whatever, but you can still kill with it inside nominal distances, 50 and in no problem. So, and again, for like one fifth, the cost, does it really justify spending four five, six times the amount of money per squeeze? And we feel confident that like, we kind of have that perfect balance of performance and value at a, at, you know, at a price point. And I think one thing that people don't understand too, and this is something that I've learned over the years, you know, patterning and, and getting to really know uh, my shotgun and, and my shot a little better is uh, a lot of times that speed does not give you the patterns that you think. Uh, there's a no. lot of there's a lot of things going on right. when that when that when that shot comes out the end of the barrel, right. and and that speed is is probably not the best for consistent patterning, I should say. Well, yeah, and, and the reason why, I mean, from my perspective, having, having shot and designed and built our own loads is, um, there's like we said earlier, there's a lot that goes on when you pull the trigger. So the primer is creating an explosion that's lighting the powder, and the powder is burning itself up so quickly that it's taking the, it's creating hot gases that are expanding. And that expansion of the gases is what's acting against that wad and shot cup that's moving everything down the barrel. So you've got pressure, right? And if everyone can like imagine like a nice little parabola, right? You learn going back to, uh, to math class in middle school and high school, the, the steeper that that curve rises, that is how quickly that powder is being burnt, right? So you, you run, it's again, it's a compromise. So you wanna be able to expand those gases and consume that powder fast enough that everything ignites but not too quickly and not too slowly because it's too slow. Then you get really dirty burning. Your pressure level is not going to be safe in cold weather because powders will burn slower in colder weather. There's, there's, it's, it's a higher hurdle for those powders to jump over to consume themselves and burn up when they're cold. It's just less active. 
speaking shot shells is. Um, so in order to get velocity, you have to be able to build that pressure safely. And with bismuth shot, softer shot, or shot that is contained in a watt that's got a cushion section, that kind of acts as a shock absorber. But if you don't have a shock absorber built in, what happens is all that, it's like getting rear-ended by the semi-truck, right? Boom, everything goes forward, and you end up having pellets jumping out in front of your wad that are running down the barrel, not through the choke. And that's where you get flyers. So if you can gently hold that shot column in and treat it in such a way that you can still accelerate it without getting shot that wants to jump out in front, then you've got something there. And that's why you see some manufacturers use buffers, they'll use fillers, or there's other things that you can do. And if they're implemented in the right way, they do provide value. It just has to be, it has to deliver the results. And again, the slow, sometimes the slower you move stuff, the tighter it patterns, regardless of what the, the material is. So it's all how you, you build that shell, design the load for the intended purpose. Yeah, and and if throughout that whole process, you know, as you're explaining, I think you you painted a pretty good picture there of that, the exact process of when someone pulls the trigger. But then, not only do you want that, you know, controlled, basically a controlled explosion, is exactly what that's you right. want. Um, but yep. then you want it to be consistently. You know, that 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 I think is is probably one of the most difficult things is you want that to be to perform consistently. Uh, right. over and over and over again. And that that's probably right. where you guys really have put well, the time in. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like everything is, is compromised. Life is full of compromises. But once we select the formulation that works, taking all of the compromises uh, with powder selection, so on and so forth, once we develop a shell, we will not change that unless it's for the better. So that that is like... I will not compromise on product quality. If, if there's value to the consumer, if it offers enhanced or improved performance, we're going to do it. We're never going to take a step back and, and, and deliver less because the worst thing we could do is to sell a product that works and get a whole bunch of people buying it and then say, well, you know, if we did this instead of that, we could save a penny and a half or three pennies a shell and, oh, it'll be fine because no one will care because we got this brand that everyone loves our stuff. No, that's not happening at Boss. Will not happen. Yeah, no, I mean, that's and that's that's something that I know Lee spoke of um, is, you know, really being on, which is a little bit different, really being more loyal to the customer than what, you know, consumers in general are probably accustomed to. And I think that's no, something yeah. that, that really stands out for you guys. They're not used to that, I don't think. And I'm an extremely impatient, like OCD guy that I, I see something, I take care of it, I handle it. And I want to, when I order something, I want to have the consumer experience uh, follow through with like how I envision business being done. Like we, we order a lot of materials on our, in the metal finishing shop from an industrial supplier out of Chicago, McMaster car. They're nationwide, but ours is out of Chicago. You can order what you want on the internet. It's going to be there tomorrow. You can call up customer service, super friendly. You have a problem with whatever you order. They warranty it. They are true people that honor their word, like love them. And that's what I wanted our customer service to be uh, benchmarked against was to deliver that exceed expectations. And we noticed our first couple of years in business is Thursdays were the busiest days for us 
because in my world, factory working, you get paid on Thursdays. So that was one of the first things people were buying our first two years was their shotgun shells. And it's not cheap. They're buying it cases at a time. So I'm taking from what my estimates are anywhere from a third or half of someone's paycheck for a week. And they're, they're spending that with me. So I owe it to that guy to give them the best quality product and the best customer service that that money can buy. And I'm, I'm not apologetic about it. I get in issue. I mean, sometimes it gets a little rough here at boss when I feel there's things that need to be improved upon when it either comes to customer service or delivery or whatever, but it's because I've got, I've got the consumer's best interest at heart. <laughs> I'm a consumer advocate. If there ever was such a thing in a tiny little business like ours. An impatient consumer advocate at that, right? Yeah, big time. Big time. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, is there, you know, before I get you out of here, is there one thing that you want, you know, our audience to take away, the Ducks Unlimited audience? Is there one thing that you want those people to to understand and know about Boss Shot Shells? Oh, man. I mean, we could go on for hours about this, right? But like it was started, It was. I guess if there's two things that started it, it was... It was my young kid. It was a lack of, it was a high hurdle for a little guy to get into duck hunting and actually kill something, right? Um, that and the ducks, man. I mean, it's, that's what it's all about. Um, we do not like cripples. We take crippling very, very, very seriously. And whatever we can do to drive that number down. Like I started looking like, okay, if boss takes over this percentage of the industry, we know based on feedback from our customers that their cripples went from this to that, which I mean, it's, it's a big number, like a lot, a lot of people have, have said that their cripples go down to almost zero. Right. So we know the numbers you guys put together, how many millions of birds die due to crippling every single year. And we start extrapolating that into mating pairs and how much of the market we've got and how many birds we can send back to nest and reproduce every year. I think if, if that word continues to grow, and even if it's not with people buying from us, just being on this show and just having this conversation, if it, if it helps one guy come to the brand or one guy who wants to still shoot steel, that's going to get him to go out and shoot some cardboard or paper, shoot some sporting clays, maybe get some different chokes, shoot different, different ammunition, then it's well worth it. Right. Cause it's, it's, this could be a generational thing that we're, that we're trying to get going, getting kids into the sport with lethal ammunition and trying to save these ducks from dying unnecessarily. That's it. No, that that's awesome. And, you know, I think, I think, you know, you're, you're talking, like you mentioned, like a generational deal um, where you're talking about, you know, getting more impactful ammunition for kids. I think that's a, a, a big deal. You know, I've got two young daughters yeah. and, and they're in the, we're in the process. We're in that, that learning right. stage of, well, of getting rid. They're not shooting yet, but I know that once I get them, when they sit up to take a shot and they go through that process of, you know, making a good shot, I want them to kill it, you know, and that's a good point. I can't tell you how many shotguns I went through from the time my kid was five, even now, and he's a little guy trying to get a gun that fit him. And, you know, it, it's, and what I tell parents now is I like to see little guys start off on a 28 gauge because a 410, the ballistics of a 410 are real finicky and they, they're not ideal. They don't, it's not easy for a kid to become confident with a 410. It's not. 
and that's where we go to 28 gauge. And I have, I've got a duck property and, and anyone who hunts it's got to shoot 28 gauge or 410. We don't allow big bore stuff for different reasons. But if you get a 28 gauge with a youth stock, and even if it's too big for your kid, cut that stock down, take it to a gunsmith, get it to fit your child. And the recoil off of a 28 gauge is nothing compared to some of these other gauges. Even if it's a 410, fine. But if you really want to get your little guy going, I strongly suggest people look at that 28 gauge. The ballistics are near perfect. It's low, low recoil, relatively low noise, and it's a smooth shooting gun, regardless of the manufacturer. It's, it's really something that I, I, like, I like to see little kids start off with that 28. No, that's a that's a good point. And I think, you know, we've had discussions on this podcast about how even more hunters are are going to that 28. And again, that's, you know, definitely, you know, a testament to, to you know, better yep. ammo over the years. Yep. Just a, a quick story I got for you. Um, so my 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 little guy loves his 20 gauge, but out at our duck property, he's got to shoot 28. So one thing shooting ducks or geese is is one deal but what we're doing now in the off season just for good dog work we go to local pheasant farm that we're, we're members at and we'll put up 12 to 15 pheasants a weekend for my dog and my my little guy who's now he's 10 now he was struggling with beating me off the shot and being able to drop these birds and i tell him i said landon you gotta you gotta be able to mount the gun get up there and and shoot so He's struggling because that 20 gauge and his 28 that he hunts with in the field or duck and goose hunting, he can mount and still kill ducks. But walking through a field and being able to swing on a pheasant that flushes is a little trickier for him. So I've got an old single shot 410. And I said, I want you to shoot this gun. He said, I don't want to shoot it because it's an old hammer 410. I said, I'll give you $20 for every bird that you shoot with that thing. He says, okay, deal. He went out and shot his three birds with three shots, the 410. So he wanted to do it again. And I said, well, I'll give you 20 bucks until you miss or 10 bucks for every bird that you kill. He killed five of them yesterday. So, I mean, he's, he, he's again, but by, by taking it from 20 gauge shooting 28, it's gun proficiency. The kid shoots a lot of clay targets. He shoots a lot of ducks. And now I've got him zoned in killing crossers right to left crossers he's left-handed and he's able to to shoot right to left crossers at the 410 at 25 yards like that's that's good shooting i don't know a pheasant or a chucker so it's proficiency and it's not there you're never too young to start get a shotgun in the kid's hands get him a 28 gauge for shooting ducks and never look back yeah that's awesome that's a good message for everybody to take right there that's a mm-hmm. that's a cool story too and and luckily you know it sounds like you're gonna uh as well as boss is going you know you're probably not going to go broke handing out $20 bills, but it sounds like your son's going to, uh, to try and do that for you. He's going to clean your wallet oh, we, out for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, again, I, I don't mind, I don't mind paying it. Even if it's five bucks or whatever. I mean, I just, I like rewarding the effort and, and you got to want it. And, and he's got it. He's got it. And I love it. And it's infectious to see other kids, you know, at, at, at first, everyone would always comment, man, your kid's so good in the field, this and that when he's five, six, seven years old. Now he's 10. He's kind of blending into all these other, you know, tween age kids. And, uh, but seeing these younger guys on, on social media posting their little guys hunting, killing, killing ducks. We got a letter that a little guy wrote, wrote to us, handwritten letter, signed in cursive, right? Signed it boss man underneath his name, which I thought was awesome. Like just seeing those little kids is just enough motivation to, to really let me 
make me feel like we're actually doing something cool, getting those little guys into it. That's awesome, man. Hey, Brandon, I appreciate you joining me today. Um, uh, You want to let everyone know where they can find Boss Shot Shells. BossShotShells.com. And uh, we've got phone number listed on the website. We got killer customer service. We're answering the phones usually from before seven o'clock every morning until about four o'clock Eastern every afternoon. Um, and again, it's it's uh, we're kind of in weird times now, and we're still making shells, but uh, uh, we're hoping to switch over to turkey loads pretty soon. But as long as demand's up, we're gonna keep doing our deal. So BossShotShells.com and uh, get a hold of us. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Brandon. Again, thanks for joining me today. Cool, man. Thank you. Hey, I'd like to thank my guest, Brandon Sarecki, the founder of Boss Shot Shells, for joining me today. I'd like to thank Clay Baird, our producer, for getting this show put together and sent out to you all. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining me on the DU Podcast and supporting wetlands conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.